0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Rockcast. Jordan Bud here. And on the other line today, I have Kyle Camp with V2P Nutrition or Nutrition, jeez. And uh, we are just going to talk about some nutrition stuff, especially for backcountry hunting and whatnot. So um, thanks for taking the time, Kyle.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate you guys having me, Jordan.
0: Definitely. Can you just give everybody a little bit of background on your business, kind of what you do, and then your background on the nutrition and the kind of backcountry hunting side of things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I live, live out here in Idaho, didn't grow up in Idaho, didn't grow up doing anything related to the mountains at all, actually. As a matter of fact, I didn't even grow up Uh, doing anything with nutrition. I, I, um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest with my folks and um, overweight my whole childhood until I was, um, I was about 21 years old. I weighed 270 pounds. I'm a short guy, five foot six. So you could imagine what type of tax and toll that took on me being that heavy and being such a short guy. And I remember uh, just started having some, some real health issues pop up even at such a young age. And I didn't know anything about nutrition. I didn't know what type of long-term complications could evolve from those. But I knew that, you know, for a guy that was 21 or in his early twenties to start having the type of things happen that I did, which was, you know, chest pains, high blood pressure. I'm sure I had an increased risk of diabetes. I had, you know, just a number of problems going on. I knew I needed to change something. So I gradually uh, just started doing stuff that I think is pretty common knowledge to most people for instance like you know I, I knew that a box of fries wasn't as good for me as an apple so I changed that right I would eat an apple for a pair as a snack as opposed to stopping by a fast food restaurant and getting a box of fries so I just started doing things that seemed like better choices for myself more water less soda etc and I started to lose some weight and it was in that process that I thought, boy, I'd really like to know, um, like what's, what's happening to me? What, why, what makes the apple better than the fries? And over a period of a little over a year, I ended up losing, uh, 140 pounds, just making those changes. I enrolled in a college that was in the town that I was in and, um, Uh, finished my college degree with a a bachelor's in dietetics. And when you, when you become a registered dietitian, you finish all of your undergrad work, and then you go do some postgraduate work as a, as an internship or a residency, and you get placed for that. You don't really get much, you don't really get much say in it. Um, And so when they placed me, they said, okay, well, you're going to be going to Idaho to do your 1200 hours of supervised practice. And I thought my life was over. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't I didn't. have, you know, like at that time, I just hadn't uh, been exposed to anything to do with the outdoors. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go over there and I'll get the work done. I'll move back to the Midwest. I'd applied um, at a couple of places in the Midwest over at Ohio State and Vanderbilt and a few other places, but I ended up getting computer matched. Uh, I mean, you, it's literally most most all human Human, humanity is taken out of it. They uh, they match you by way of computer, and so they match me to Idaho State and Meridian, which is just outside of Boise, and I moved here and had some time prior to the internship starting to sort of explore what's here, and uh, had some friends recommend that I visit the, uh, the foothills just outside of Boise, and I found, you know, I ended up making my way about two or three hours uh, north of here, which is central Idaho up in Ketchum Haley, Stanley area, and I just fell in love, started backpacking, and um and you know I fell in love through with the outdoors through backpacking several many, many years ago now. but uh, my, my I met my wife then, and this all it's all it's all is a story, so hopefully it's it's not losing <laughs> anyone, but uh, ended up meeting my wife. She grew up in Eastern Oregon. her folks pretty much subsist on wild game meat. and so it was, I remember it's probably about you know five or six years ago now. I had this sort of aha moment of you mean to tell me that you can go get lean meat and hike somewhere. And for a tag of about $30. And so I I started the process of learning how to hunt and just had, I countless people I could thank for being patient with me and mentoring me and still to this day, the people that I go with every year. Um, just extremely patient and mentors of mine. So that is sort of how, uh, you know, I evolved from a Midwest kid who was having health problems to a dietician now uh, opening a business aimed at helping people either prepare for or to do well on backcountry hunts and ultras. And, you know, uh, that's evolved sort of into more of the preparation side of things, helping people get towards a weight that they feel like they can go to the back country and not just make it, but to enjoy the trip and to feel like they were in good physical condition to be able to complete the trip too.
0: Awesome. Dude, what a background. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just humbled when I look back at it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, for my own personal sake of saving my own health, but now to be able to, you know, I knew immediately when I lost the weight, I really wanted to be able to help people do it Uh, meet their goals too and especially in the realm of nutrition
0: yeah for sure so you you run and I'm sure you own as well uh v2p nutrition nutrition um could you just give kind of a a quick rundown of kind of who you help and what your you know I guess what your business is about
1: yeah so you know i guess the tagline or whatever is helping people prepare prepare for and perform well in the mountains and that sort of encompasses anything from backcountry hunting to guys that run ultras to Uh, backcountry skiers, et cetera. And so on the preparation side of things, you know, it's either usually one of two things. A guy feels like he's heavier than he wants to be before going to hunt in the mountains, or he just wants to be in better shape for day-to-day life. So sometimes it's even aside from the mountains. And so it's tailoring a plan for those folks uh, with regular accountability and check-ins to basically get them towards where they want to be for their goals and building a plan that's for them. As opposed to, you know, hey, here's X, Y, and Z diet. Go do it, and you'll lose weight. And so there's a lot of time spent with the clients, and my clients, and um, talking about, okay, well, here's here's what you here's what I would recommend you do, uh, and that's viewed through the lens of what they like, what they want, what their preferences are, and here's why it's going to work. So I think there's a ton of value in knowing why you're doing something, as opposed to me just saying. Hey, go do this, it'll work. Don't worry about why, you know, come back and see me in two months, follow X, Y, and Z meal plan, blah, blah, blah. So there's the preparation end of things, and then there's the quote unquote performance end of things in the mountains. And I'm not a huge fan of the buzzwords, but I feel like that word sort of encompasses what it is. And that's geared more towards tailoring a plan, you know, for backcountry hunting or whatever, specifically related to your audience, backcountry hunting tailoring a plan, um, for them to do well there. And uh, you know, a great example of that was about two years ago, I worked with a guy and his son who were headed to Alaska on a doll sheep hunt. They were going to be gone for 10 days. And they'd done this trip the year prior, but just, they struggled to keep up with the guides ended up not harvesting a, a, a ram or sheep and, um, wanted to try it again. So we sat down, we created this plan. We mapped out 10 days with them, mapped out, everything you could think of by way of nutrition while they were there. So everything was tailored to him in preparation for the 10 day hunt, right? Because you could stop by the gas station and and fill up on goodies and probably make it just fine for the day. Right. But if you're doing 10 days every day before and every day after the day that you're currently hunting on matters tremendously on, on your ability to be able to carry out the tasks for the next day. So Um, those type of things, whenever you talk about performance or being in the mountains are geared towards that type of a hunt.
0: Gotcha, man. That that's awesome. And then we have a mutual buddy, which is AJ Dubay that you helped him as well. I don't know how much weight did has AJ lost?
1: Yeah, he, um, he ended up, he, I think he's lost a total of 60 pounds and then uh, I think, you know, the other day he posted something and where he'd lost a total of 10 inches. So now he's sort of in the conundrum of having to buy a new wardrobe, but I guess that's a good problem to have, right?
0: But Yeah, it is. And I know that you're going to help Ryan Avery do, um, kind of structure his own plan. And I was talking to Ryan the other day and he's like, man, one of the things that sold me on it was like, AJ was eating like Cheetos and stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's a, he's a prime example. AJ is of, of, you know, earlier we talked about preparing for going out there and trying to help folks that are interested and get to a weight where they feel comfortable to do the things that they like is, is tailoring it to stuff that they like. Right. So, you know, it's, anybody's going to be able to shed some weight following a plan that restricts them and limits them to, you know, 20 foods and, limits them to foods that are only grown above the ground, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't, to me, I'm just not interested in helping someone shed 50 pounds quick and then to gain 75 of it back because they couldn't maintain it. And so in, with AJ and I working together, there's a lot of conversations about, okay, well, what things do you like? Oh, I love Oreos. I love flame and hot Cheetos. Awesome. Let's figure out how we can make you a plan that includes those things, mm-hmm. which is why he's been so successful, right? He's been able to be consistent because the plan includes stuff that he likes. So he never really feels restricted. He never feels like he's on a diet. So he's been able to be consistent and he's been able to see that finish line actually achieved because he never went off of it. There's nothing to go off of because there's no limitations there. There is. And we'll, you, I think you and I are going to talk about that later. It's yeah. not like a free for all. I don't want to paint that picture, but, but there's no restrictions in terms of, you know, this food's good, this food's bad, you should never do this. And you should always do this.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that that kind of rolls us into the first question is, you know, what do you see people struggle with the most with their nutrition, either just maybe from a like a general sense, like somebody who's not even really on like a nutrition plan, and then somebody who's like on one and then falls off.
1: I think I think there's a couple of things. One thing that definitely stands out when you ask the question is there's tremendous confusion, Uh, you know, in the one of the coolest parts about the day and age that we live in is the abundance of information that's available to you. One of the worst parts about the day and age that we live in is there's an abundance of information available to you. Right. And so everyone has known someone or seen someone on a host of different diets, and they've all had success to some degree. So people are really confused about what they should do. Uh, you know, I, they've heard that the low carbohydrate approach works, they've heard that the high carb approach works, they've heard that you could eat a cookie every day and lose weight. And so there's just a tremendous amount of confusion. And so people don't know where to start, or what's worse, and this kind of rolls into the second point of of where people struggle is they create a diet or they begin on some type of a plan that's just tremendously unrealistic. And so they start out of the gate really strong. They're able to lose a little bit of weight in the beginning, or they're able to add some muscle if, if their goal is not weight loss or whatever their goal is, but they can't, they can never see that finish line reach like AJ because the plan was just so unrealistic that they're waving the white flag by their eighth weekend. So, you know, those two things combined at least in my opinion are probably the area that I see people struggle with the most. And then combined with that, which is sort of an a a cause and effect type of relationship is they just struggle to be consistent. They may do really, really great Monday through Thursday, but they want to go out and be social on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. They're not sure how to do that on this you know on this super restrictive plan so they just the wheels fall off the bus and they never see any any progress at all so you know the consistency piece of it in combination with confusion and unrealistic long-term plans i think and and i'm sure you could open up to a number of different things as to why people struggle but that's definitely probably the biggest three in my mind
0: gotcha when i was on the hunt with robbie denning we were BS in one evening about kind of just nutrition and whatnot. And, um, you know, we were talking about like the, the keto diet and all these diets that are going around and people getting on them and losing weight and then, you know, falling off and going right back. I think that those diets are, they're cool if you already have a baseline, but I think you need to have like a solid nutrition baseline. That's, I think something a lot like you do, and then be able to like, go try maybe a keto thing, but then have something to fall back to instead of just going from like one extreme to the other.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think that it, that's a great point in that if, you know, if a person says, Hey, you know, I tried X, Y, and Z plan and you know, I know it's restrictive, but it, it, it worked great for me. It works great for me. And I find it really easy to adhere to more than anything I've tried there's nothing wrong with that. But, and this is the area that I, I struggle with is when, when anyone, even, even a dietitian, like even someone in a position like me, when they start to say, Hey, this is the only way this is the, this is the absolute, if you know, sorry, if you don't like it, fuck up, you're going to have to figure it out. That's simply not true. You have to tailor any type of a plan or a program to what you enjoy otherwise it's going to be even if it's not a short term struggle it's going to be a long term struggle if you if you don't feel like you enjoy doing that right because I mean, there's a lot of habits or things that we can just quit you can't quit eating so you have to you have to figure out how can you include things that you like yeah you're going to have to adjust some stuff you can't you can't just keep doing the same thing and expect something to change you got to adjust something but how can you still include those things in a reasonable way that allows you to reach the end goal and hit the finish line?
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Uh, can you kind of, you know, touch on your, your proteins, carbs, and fats, which would be like the main three things that you'd be looking at like with a nutrition plan. I mean, those are kind of the three main things that are on a label. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, essentially we get our calories from four places uh, and only four places. You get them from protein, you get them from carbohydrates and you get them from fat. The fourth place and the only place that offers no physiological benefit, nothing, it has it has nothing to do with in the body at all, is alcohol. So four places that our calories come from. Now, protein, the role in the body and protein is repair and healing. So yes, that can be things like working out. That's what most people think about when they think about protein, but it's also stuff like growing hair. It's also stuff like repairing your finger. If you cut it, sharpening a broadhead, it's, it's, it's all of those things. Then you have, you have fat. The predominant role of fat is for, uh, uh, vitamin and mineral transport and hormone transport. So it, it essentially is the car or the carrier of those things in the bloodstream to transport it to where it needs to go. And then the third thing that we have is carbohydrate, which is the predominant fuel source of the body. Um, so there's three main roles of those nutrients, and there's tons of arguments out there about, you know, what percent of those varying, we call those the macronutrients, the three main nutrients what percent of those macronutrients should are the best in the diet, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is when you look at a nutrition hierarchy as to what matters for not only performance, but also for weight, what matters the most is calories. After that, after you build that foundation of what your calorie need is, you can jump up to the manipulation of these macros. And so the varying degree of macros only matter if the calories are right. Meaning even if you have a Even if you have this great uh, ratio of macros, but your calories are off, you will fail to see any progress at all. So uh, that sort of explains what's behind each of those macros. Does that help answer the question?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think there can be some, like between carbohydrates and fats, definitely seems to be some, like people think all fat is bad. And that's not totally correct, is it?
1: No, no, you're a hundred percent right. That's, that would be incorrect. So there's not, not all fats are bad. Not all carbs are bad. So yeah, you're right. There is very much a black and white in a lot of people's mind. And that's not necessarily true.
0: Yeah. What are like, you know, maybe misconceptions between the carbohydrates and the fats?
1: That is a good question. That's a really good question. So I would say one of the biggest misconceptions is that we're always, or that is either always or under certain circumstances, only functioning off of one of those fuel sources. And that's not true. Usually, nearly always, even during exercise, we are using a mix or a combination of fat, carbohydrates, and fuel. And then what dictates that is the intensity of the work that we're doing. So when the intensity is rather low, meaning you're not out of breath a ton, the fuel source will be partially from fat, though carbohydrate is included. Now, with that, with that intensity increasing, you have a shift that takes place to where the predominant fuel source, the harder you're having to work, shifts almost entirely towards carbohydrate. But but we're never just using one. There's always a combination in there to some degree, if that makes sense. And even, even on a keto diet, right, like a really high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, the breakdown of fat still yields some glucose. So when you look at a molecule of fat, and this is the type of stuff that nerds like me study, but when you break down a molecule of fat... Mm-hmm. It it separates into two separate parts, and a part of that still yields some glucose, and you know glucose is uh, a breakdown of carbohydrate. So there's never just this one thing that's being used ever. So I'd say that's that's definitely one misconception, and something that's become really popular lately. Late, lately is people feel like fat is a superior fuel source uh, because we have a higher store of it, which is also Yes, we do have a higher store of it, but the process of using stored fat to usable energy to usable fuel is a very 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 long process, which is particularly true for like particularly um I guess important for your audience to know for back country type nutrition especially in the west because as intensity increases the shift of fuels becomes predominantly carbohydrate. and if there's nothing there, then it's going to be very hard for you to meet it, right? So yes, anything's going to work. You're not going to die in the bad country eating a high fat diet, but there's a big, big difference between just working and then working really well, right? So I think that that distinction is really uh, really important to make. and Again, thinking about the backcountry nutrition, Western hunting, where you're, where you're pushing hard, and the, the, the differentiation between fat and carbohydrate is that it takes more oxygen to metabolize a molecule of fat than it does carbohydrate. And as you know, anything above 8,000 feet, anything above really anything about five or 6,000 feet in the West, you don't really have oxygen as a luxury where you can just be burning it all the time. So there are important mm-hmm. things to pay attention to. Now, with that said, if someone says, oh, boy, you know, I switched to a high-fat diet and I just felt phenomenal as opposed to X, Y, and Z diet that I've tried in the past, that's great. Then, then that, that works for you. But from a science standpoint, this is what, this is what science tells us, right? And, there's, and there is, like I already said, there, there is a massive difference between, yes, it just working and then working optimally. And I care far more about the latter than, you know, someone just, it just working. Cause the goal again is a lot of times guys will, I mean, they'll spend a lot of money coming from the Midwest or the East to come and hunt out West. And the idea is, you know, you don't want to just make it. I want you to enjoy it, right. To be able to be up there to survive the seven days. And when I say survive, like to, to be up there without any complications, And have to come down because you didn't feel good, you didn't feel, you felt sick or whatever.
0: Yeah, and this is sort of jumping forward a little bit, but we actually had a a question from a listener that was, I think, kind of could tie into carbohydrates, carbs and fats, like the shift of those. So, like, if you were gonna build like your backcountry food list, would you change the carbohydrates and fats to whether you're gonna be doing like? mostly hiking, mostly like, you know, maybe like archery elk hunt versus like, would you put more fats in if you're going to be doing like a lot of glassing versus kind of that run and gun, but you're glassing with the intention to go like on a stock?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the the higher the intensity of the hunt you're preparing for, the greater the need to have a higher carbohydrate diet in that, to, to, to have a higher... Um, more calories or more of the calories in the plan to come from carbohydrates. If you're planning to be, you know, to hike in at night, set up camp and, and camp wake up and just glass most of the day, unless you happen to get a stalk, then the high, you can, you can, you can still keep the same calories. So you're not losing too much weight over the duration of the hunting season, but the shift of those calories you would probably want to make from fat rather than carbs. Now, With that said, it's not going to hurt you necessarily to have the same mix. You'll just be sitting longer, meaning you're not going to be burning those calories quite as much.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Um, So I guess rolling into kind of what, what you would do for somebody, how do you typically start structuring a program for somebody?
1: That's a really good question. So we have um, when someone initially reaches out, either through, you know, there's a, there's usually like there's a at the bottom of the website there's a, a a form that they fill out, which lets me know that they're interested. And I, I, so I try to figure out, you know, through a com- phone conversation. When I get that form, I, I set up a phone call with a with a person, and it's no charge. Like I'm just trying to get more information at that point. I try to figure out you know, what's, what have you tried to this point? What's gone good? What's gone bad? What are your goals? What's your current weight? What, you know, just get all of the history that I possibly can, because my, my goal is to, is to, is to try to figure out how can we change what they've done with what they actually like to do so they get the results that they want. So through that conversation, we're, I'm trying to answer that question because, whatever when you when you plan something that they can adhere to they're going to be consistent and when they when they're consistent then they can get some results so i'm I'm constantly trying to figure out okay what is it that you like what's been good what's been bad and then how what what are your goals because we're going to build a plan tailored to your goals with the inclusion of things that you actually like to get to these goals eventually Right, and so then it becomes a process of of us checking in with one another through a series of accountability, uh, the, the accountability program we got set up through Valley to Peak, and then adjusting that 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 plan and that program, and answering questions and explaining why we're moving into you know why our goals for next week look like this as opposed to this this week. So. That's uh, that's that's generally what I'm trying to figure out whenever somebody reaches out and they're interested in the beginning.
0: Gotcha, and I that is super important. I think is like tailored to the individual person because everybody's different, and I think that everybody's heard that a lot, and they they know that, but people still tend to go and try to do like a one all system or program or something like that. So I I yeah. think that that's really important to get with. Somebody and I think,
1: yeah, and I think I think too. Like you can't downplay the importance of patience, right? I mean, if if like when I was heavy, I had I had twenty years of bad eating habits, and so for me to expect to shed one hundred and forty pounds in three months, that, that's just unrealistic. So if if you can, if if a person can sort of strap themselves in and just embrace that this is going to be a bit of a process, like AJ losing the sixty pounds and shedding i don't even know how many what the percentage of body fat that he ended up losing was losing 10 inches that took us a year i mean that that took us a year but now he has he has hit that level he's at a he's at a a a calorie level that he can sustain and he's maintained this loss now for even a bit of time which is even more important so you can't downplay the the uh, the importance of being patient in this too because you're right one experience that I've got is people want this to come off quick and you can, you can work a plan to get it off quick. The problem with that is it generally doesn't stay off. It comes back. And when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance and you generally end up not only gaining the weight back that you lost, but the weight that you gain a couple more than that too.
0: Gotcha. Um, with your, with your programs, you know, like can we're, we're just talking about the nutrition side of it now. But how much does like the activity and the physical part play into your kind of program as a whole for someone?
1: It it plays in a lot with, with that said, like I've I've also got people who are injured and can't work out. So then in that scenario, then we have to, this is the importance of us checking in so frequently with each other is then we have to adjust the plan again to accommodate for that. Right? So if they're at a certain level of nutrition with a, you know, with a certain amount of volume of exercise every week and they're being successful there, but all of a sudden they become injured, we have to tailor the plan. So exercise is like free money in the weight loss mm-hmm. plan, but if a person can't do that, then we, we can also tailor the plan to continue progress even in spite of that. With that said, the, for the folks that are able to exercise, when we check in, there's really three arenas that we look at. We look at the nutrition, of course, we look at feedback, meaning, you know, are you sleeping okay? Are you are you noticing that you're just constantly thinking about food all day because of how hungry you are? Because if that's the case, it's not working. We need to change something. But the third arena arena is um, exercise or some type of a training. And so every week when we're checking in, we have goals that we set because what gets measured gets managed. So. If, you, if you've got a goal to progress in exercise and you're going out with that goal, it's a whole lot better than just going out and aimlessly running because somebody told you that would help you burn calories. So we're constantly checking in and setting goals every week for nutrition and setting goals every week for performance or exercise or whatever you, whatever you want to term that. So it, it does play a role and it's extremely helpful if a person's able to, but I also wouldn't say that they're limited. Uh, or they're not a candidate for progressing in terms of losing weight or whatever if they can't exercise you still could too which is why I love nutrition right I mean you even without exercise you can still change change someone's life so it's awesome I love that part of it
0: Yeah, yeah man that is awesome. Um, back on kind of the new nu- the nutrition side, how important is the portion control section of that like is the portion portion control um, more important than what? you're actually eating.
1: Yes. And this this jumps back again. I'm glad that you brought it up because I'd said, you know, earlier, like with working with AJ, he was eating Flaming Hot Cheetos and Oreos. But the one thing that we had to work on was, okay, here's the framework and here's the structure of your plan. And the question now has to become not whether or not you can have those foods, but how much of those can you have? What's the portion size of those things look like? transposed over the top of your plan because there's no good and bad foods there's only good and bad amounts of everything i mean i've seen people gain weight eating the healthiest of foods and i've seen people lose weight eating the trashiest of foods so portion size is a real real important thing to pay attention to whenever you're talking about changing someone's nutrition plan so you know there's there's really four things that i think are important there's you got to have some kind of a plan you have to have some something that you're doing to track your nutrition, right? So you gotta have you gotta have some type of a thing that you are you are checking in with yourself. So whether it's some type of a journal or an app or an Excel sheet or something, something that you're you're tracking what you're doing so you can keep tabs on it. But the third piece of that is this. It's measuring portions. So whether it's something formal like a scale or a measuring cup or a tablespoon or your fist or half of your plate or or you know whatever, some you gotta have some type of a baseline that you can estimate, okay, here's here's what my portion size used to look like. I need to figure out how to make that smaller and then you know translate that into doing it whenever it comes time for it to eat. So yeah, he wasn't eating a bag of flaming hot Cheetos, but it was sure nice to know that if he wanted to include a couple of handfuls in his turkey sandwich with lunch, he had the option. There was no like, there was no mandate that you can't have X, Y, and Z foods. So the portion size plays a big, a big role. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, this comes from a, uh, let's see, I think it was from Instagram. There was somebody that asked, um, meal times relative to working out like be before and after.
1: So that's a, that's a a really good question. And, Uh, So two, two parts to that. The first is there for years, years and years and years, there was always this assumption, especially like in the bodybuilding community that you needed to have a certain amount of protein in within 60 minute window of your workout to maximize that workout. Right. But we now know that that window looks far more like a barn door, meaning as long as you're eating something within two to three, four hours after the workout, you are still reaping the benefit from the workout because it's very likely that at some point prior to the workout, you, you've eaten too. So for example, if a person works out at 4 p.m., they probably had lunch, meaning that lunch is still digesting up to the point of that workout, meaning you're still getting the breakdown of those nutrients during the workout, which reduces the need for any immediate post-op protein drink right after the workout. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it definitely does.
1: Okay. Now, with that said, it becomes far more important to have something within a smaller window of time if a person works out and they're practicing something like intermittent fasting, meaning they haven't eaten for a really long period of time, they go to workout, then the need to have something a little closer to that workout becomes more important because their tanks are essentially empty. Right. So, yep. what matters the most is in the context of a 24 hour period, if you're able to hit your personal nutrition plan numbers that are tailored to you personally and built on your goals, if you're able to hit that within a 24 hour window, timing doesn't matter near as much as what a lot of the like men's health magazines and those type of bro magazines would would suggest that you need and this is from a science-based standpoint so uh, when you when you actually read the research studies it tells you that the timing becomes far less important
0: okay so like the when people tell you you shouldn't eat after 7 p.m like that doesn't matter as much as if you just get it you make sure you stay on track within that 24 hours?
1: Yeah. Complete myth. Yep. So the whole 7.00 PM after 7.00 PM, things turning to fat, that's a complete myth. As long as your calories for your personal, your personal needs, as long as those are within the framework of what your goals are, the timing doesn't matter. So 9.00 PM, 11.00 PM, it simply doesn't matter. So if you have your biggest meal at 8.00 PM, It's not like the body says, Oh man, you missed the window by one hour. We're going to have to make this fat. It, the, the body is, it is so much smarter than that and works on a series and a system of, you know, what are your stores look like? What have you eaten already? What type of activity have you done? It's constantly balancing that. So even if you, even if you manipulated your, your nutrition plan to a really tedious level, it's going to figure out a way to provide what it needs. And, you know, earlier that reference that I made where when, you, when you're on a, a low-carb diet, like a ketogenic diet, when the fat breaks down, the brain functions. It can function on ketones, but there still is a small fraction of glucose in there from the breakdown of fat that the body uses. So even if you were able to manipulate this thing so minute to where you feel like you've eliminated all carbs from the diet, it still is going to find the way to produce some glucose in the need of it.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, that totally makes, that makes sense to me. So this next question is something that I've kind of thought about for a or thought about, I guess, for a long time. Like we always want to make sure that everything's, you know, really on par, like the week leading up to a hunt. Is there anything nutrition wise that I can like plan ahead for?
1: Well, so I, I don't, I mean, it's not a crazy assumption for someone to think that because, you know, for like for a long time, people have known about what we know as carb loading. Um, And most people's approach to carb loading is like you're talking about, you know, three or four days before they go run a big race or they go out on a big hunt. They'll just eat a ton of carbs. True carb loading is actually a... um, a, a, a downgrade of exercise. So it's a, it's a shift of exercise, meaning you, you take a period of rest while reintroducing carbohydrates. And so the, 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 muscle, we have two places we store carbohydrate ones in our liver and ones in our muscles. And when those are depleted and then replenished strategically from a taper and exercise and then increased carbohydrate intake, they act like a sponge and they fill now in that type of a scenario, when you've got good rest and full stores leading into a long hunt then yes that works great but you know uh, this is where this is where really knowing your numbers pays off because you're able to be assured that those stores are full leading up to a hunt meaning if you're eating to your levels for the week prior to the hunt you can be sure that those stores are full and then when you go into the hunt regardless of whether it's loading on pasta or anything else you will be ready to go and, and much more likely to, to, uh, to hit any type of a wall sooner rather than later. If you, if you do that now, if you don't know your numbers and you're just kind of doing whatever leading up to the week of the hunt, and then the night before you guys leave, you have all your buddies over and you guys are going to leave 5am the next morning and you guys just have a big pasta dinner. That is not accomplishing filling the stores in the sense like we're talking about here. That's, just having a big pasta dinner <laughs> before the hunt.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. That that totally makes sense, and uh, it's really good to know. Um, so let's say, like after you know, after an intense workout, or even after a longer hunt, how how do you recover? Do you go right back to the nutrition plan you were on before?
1: Yeah, because the 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 energy. Well, I think it I think it depends. So you know, if you if you're if you If you're doing like, so if you got, if you've got someone who's only doing, let's just say a week in September and that's all they're planning to do, then yes, I would just go back to the nutrition plan you were doing before. Now, you know, like a lot of my friends and a lot of the guys that I know out here that hunt, of course, you know, we have the, just the amazing opportunity of living 30 minutes from where we hunt. So they're hunting all of September, right? I mean, they may come back and spend Three, three days or whatever, catching up with work in town, and then go back out for five to seven days hunting for a total of 21 in September, then it becomes a little more important to pay attention to this, to keep the calories high, and in particular, to keep the carbohydrates high, so those stores are filled, right? And so what's unique about the stored uh, carbohydrate in the muscle is it is responsible for, for, for functioning that muscle alone, meaning if it's, empty, it's going to be very, it's going to be very challenging to ask and to ask that muscle to work to the capacity that it could otherwise. So then it does become a little more important to make sure that your nutrition is dialed in when you're home, because you've got to endure the rest of the season at that point. Right. And so a lot of guys that I'll meet with, they'll say, look, and I always start out in September weighing what I normally weigh, but I shed 15 pounds and come the end of September, I'm a mess. I can barely hike. So it's, it's, it then becomes important to look at nutrition like that old green recycling symbol, right? It would be like reduce, which will help you reuse, which will help you recycle. And so you have to think about, okay, fueling properly fuels the work that you're getting ready to do, fueling properly again, then gets you prepared for the following day. So it is sort of this synergistic type of a cycle that you can view. Um, that will help you sort of stay there. And, you know, something that also may be helpful, like for guys that are really numbers intricate, like me, they, they generally the general rule of recommendation for performance nutrition and recovery and preparing to, to have multiple bouts like that is a four to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein. And so they found that to be enough protein to heal the muscle, but also enough carbohydrate to provide, to refuel the, the glycogen stores. So, what those actual numbers look like in terms of grams will vary from person to person because you know, it's just how that works. But if you aimed for a ratio of four to one, that's a, that's a general rule of thumb and will get people pretty close.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Um, so we've kind of done the, the pre and then the recovery and I just kind of skipped over the, as you're actually hunting. Um, so how should your program change on a hunt versus at home? And I think, um, you know, we just have to, it has to be somewhat convenient back there. And so a lot of it is, is packaged bars. So can you, can you talk about that at all? What you kind of try to aim for in the back country?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think for one, one thing is we we sort of talked about here a little bit that the calorie need at home will be far less because you're obviously less active i mean even if you're exercising in some sort of a structured program at home the amount of activity that varies between that and the amount of activity that varies from you being active for 12 to 16 hours hiking all day during september trying to find help is immensely different the calorie need between those two is different The second thing that you would do um, in terms of the backcountry nutrition is protein needs in the backcountry are far less than what they are at home or what guys are traditionally used to following at home, particularly if they do some type of a strength training regimen. So, you know, most guys are all about packing in, you know, hundreds of grams of protein. And the reality is, is that you really only need about half of a gram to one gram of protein because protein is not an energy source. We're not trying to consume a certain amount of protein to provide energy. We simply want to supply enough of the macronutrients of carbohydrates, of protein, and of fat to accomplish whatever the job is nothing more, nothing less. So, generally, people tend to overdo protein. And earlier we were talking about how the body's far more intelligent than us and works in a sort of synergistic type of a way. Excess protein just gets converted to carbohydrate in the need when the need is high. So it, it's going to it's going to not go to repairing the muscle and instead will be used as an energy source if the calorie need is there and you haven't supplied enough carbohydrate. So I think it's really important to to sort of look at it like assigning these nutrients a job and only giving enough of that nutrient to do its job. Nothing more, nothing less. To me, that's a great viewpoint or a great perspective of, um, of a, an individual nutrition plan.
0: Okay. Uh, what about water when you're on a backcountry hunt?
1: Yeah, So yeah, the more you can get in the better, right. But sometimes that can yeah. be challenging to, um, to find there, there are, um, you know, there are like recommendations. So like aiming for 0.8 to one liter for every couple hours that you're exercising. But I think, I think a far better approach is to monitor the color of your urine. So if you're, if you're noticing, it's a really dark yellow, then you're behind the eight ball and you need to catch up. If it's, if it's straw to clear, then you're probably doing fine. If you stop peeing altogether, that may be cause for concern for sure. I mean, then you may be looking at some more complex type of issues, but you know, that's one thing that a lot of guys, I mean, they won't even finish their one liter bladder that's in their pack. Right. But I think, you know, a good goal is to have a two or a three liter bladder in your pack and aim to finish that thing every day. And then once you get back to camp, having some more water with dinner or an electrolyte mix or something like that, just to make sure it depends on the season that you're hunting. But, just making sure that you're able to get enough fluid in because that can play a, 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 an immense role in the amount that you start cramping if you're not getting enough fluid. And so if you're cramping, there's no way or it's going to be really challenging anyway for you to hike the amount that you're wanting to.
0: Gotcha. For electrolytes, are there any that you can kind of recommend?
1: Yeah, I I love uh, so a couple of things. I love a brand called Tailwind and they they do a lot more with um like ultras than they do anything else. So they are an outdoor based company. They're a small business in Colorado and they have uh, the reasons I like it is, is several reasons. Number one, it mixes clear so it's not gonna stay in your water bladder if you've got if you uh if your water bladder bladder's clear so it's There's no coloring in it, so there's no staining of it. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's a much higher sodium content than most uh, electrolyte supplements, so it replaces more of the sodium loss in, in, uh, in sweat. So most people think about, oh, I need more potassium if I'm cramping. No, you probably need more sodium. Uh, the third reason I like it is it's a dual source carbohydrate, meaning there's two types of carbohydrate that they use, as opposed to most electrolyte supplements that just use some type of sugar. The benefit of a dual source carbohydrate is that we have we have several different places our cells take carbohydrates and use them, and each of those cells is unique to a specific type of carbohydrate. So when you use two. Types of carbohydrates in in a drink, you get essentially more of an uptake than if you just used one. And you could sort of, you know, view it as people crowding into a, you know, let's just say that the mall is opening for the day after Thanksgiving, and you got one door open as opposed to five. You've got this whole funnel of this crowd trying to filter through one door, and there's just there becomes a bottleneck and a limitation to how much it can have. But if you open all five of those doors up. Well, now all of a sudden, everybody's able to go in, and it's a much easier process, and more people are able to come into the mall. It's the same idea with a dual source carbohydrate. So I love that this company uses that too. And the, the third, the fourth thing that's nice about that is it tends to sit better on the gut because the concentration of carbohydrate is lower. So you know, you take those goo packets that people you know will yeah. sort of drink down, and they talk about. It's just so sweet. My stomach can hardly handle it. And that's because the body can't absorb that amount of carbohydrate in one sitting. So you get indigestion. The benefit of the dual source carbohydrate is is it tends to sit easier on the gut because the concentration is lower and the body can take it up easier. So I love that stuff. It is a little more expensive than like, you know, just plain old powdered Gatorade. But Gatorade also makes an endurance formula, which is not just their normal powdered stuff. This Their endurance formula is geared a little more like Tailwind at a lower price point in that it offers some extra sodium above its traditional, just over-the-counter stuff. And that it um, – I don't know if they do a dual-source carbohydrate or not, but – Those are the two that I tend to like more than others. A question I get a lot is, hey, what about those Noon tablets? They're okay for electrolyte replacement, but there's no carbohydrate in it at all. And so, again, you're moving a lot. You're sweating a lot. You're burning a lot of carbohydrates. Those Replacing those are as important as replacing electrolytes. So I love to kill two birds with one stone when I'm outlining plans for folks And so we'll throw some of these electrolyte replacement mixes that are higher in carbohydrates in there, um, just to do both of those with one, you know, one tackle, both of those at one time.
0: Dude. Awesome. Um, kind of keeping with that theme, what about, uh, like your favorite dinner and snack ideas when you're on the mountain?
1: So I'll I'll share some of my my personal favorites, but yeah. I wanted to because uh, you you'd sent this one over to me. I wanted to outline you know jumping back to the the uh, the the guy the client that I worked with that went on the sheep hunt. What I did for him was I created a list, and I think this would be super helpful for listeners if 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 they're looking for just to add some variety. Because one thing about nutrition, like even if you've got the best meal plan and you've got you know, these these snacks that meet all of these numbers, if you've got all of that mapped out, but you get on the mountain and you can't stomach it, it does you no good. <laughs> so you have to find something that you actually like, right? You have to find yeah. something that when you're on the mountain, you've been sweating all day, actually tastes good to you so you can get the nutrition into you. So what he and I did was we built... Uh, a list of 10 to 15 different snack options with these numbers that he liked in there. And then every day I would say, take that list and you choose five to have for that day. So it offered a ton of variety and all of these met his numbers. And so when we're planning, one thing that's unique about performance nutrition is not only do the numbers matter, but timing matters immensely. Aiming to have Uh, 45 to 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate every couple of hours is the hallmark of good performance nutrition. And that's because our body, when it's exercising at really high outputs, can metabolize as many as 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate in an hour. So we're aiming to replace those. So building a list of 15 options that had that many carbs in it and then telling him, hey, choose five from that list every day you go out in any type of variety. And that would, that offered him a ton of variety. So he never got burnt out eating the same things every day.
0: No one, one question I just had pop up kind of in my mind uh, last second was, um, so like, say, in your everyday, you know, nutrition, you're taking in 2000 calories a day. That's kind of what you're allotted. Is there like a rule of thumb that when you're trying to plan for a backcountry hunt, you can bump that to Like, would that be like an extra 1500 calories?
1: Well, so, I mean, there's, I, there's algorithms that I use based on research that get you a a really precise number. But so, so here's a couple, I think that that might be helpful. Um, the Exo Mountain Gear guys and I built a free backcountry um, planner. I think it's like it's a few pages long, and it maps that out and into detail. It's totally free and would be available to any of your listeners if they wanted to download it. I think it's on it's on the Exo website if they want it, and so it will help walk them through that if they're looking through detailed plans. But essentially. An easy rule of thumb is if you've got a light duty day, meaning you're planning to do anywhere between three and five miles, taking your body weight and multiplying it by 20. If you've got a moderate day, anywhere between six and 12 miles, taking your body weight and multiplying it by 25. A high day, meaning 12 plus miles, lots of elevation change, taking your body weight and multiplying it by 30. Those are very general rules of thumbs and it also depends too, like if you've got a guy that's, you know, 60 pounds overweight, then these are the type of conversations we have whenever we're sort of trying to plan these out is okay, well, we don't, you know, we're not trying to feed the extra 60 pounds. We need to feed the feed the lean mass and get you, you know, get you enough fuel for the day. So, but those that's that's going to give them a ballpark figure. And I would say one of the biggest things that I see, one of the biggest places I see people go wrong is they are far under eating what they need to be. And again, yes, it will work, but if you're talking about the difference between it just working and feeling really, really well and doing really, really well and having enough energy on day seven as you did on day one, then it becomes more important that you hit the total calorie numbers, even in spite of seeing how high that they are, right? So light duty days, body weight by 20, moderate body weight by 25 high body weight by 30. Those are just okay. very general rules of thumb.
0: Hmm, that's awesome to know. Um, so sorry yeah. for, I cut you off going back into like the dinners and snacks and stuff.
1: Yeah. So when, when, when he and I were planning this, here's some examples of, of what these looked like. Um, so a pack of Bell Vita crackers with one of those mini almond butters was option one. Option two were the peanut butter filled pretzels. And then of course, a certain portion size to meet the carb and the protein and fat need. Option three, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Option four, a uh, package of gummy bears. And the, the methodology behind the gummy bears jumps back again to kind of the tailwind thing. Easy to digest source of carbohydrates, rapidly digesting, adequate fuel, nearly almost immediate as soon as you eat them. And you know something else to think about, The presence of protein, fat, and fiber in a meal slows the digestion in the gut, meaning if you're eating a really high fiber, high fat, high protein type of a bar, you may notice some more indigestion on the mountain because when you're hiking, the body takes the blood from the stomach for digestion and it pushes it to the legs. So you're already up against the wall by not having adequate blood flow for digestion there. If you complex the issue more by adding in lots of fiber, lots of fat, and lots of protein from bars or food, then the indigestion becomes even worse. So when we're planning a lot of this stuff, we're trying to gear it towards very easy to process sources of food. So you're not experiencing those type of digestion issues. So that's why that's the methodology behind a lot of this. Uh, Austin peanut butter crackers, a pack of those. We came up with a DIY trail mix, and then portioned out a serving of those. So he would, he create, he went to the bulk bin and bought, you know, several pounds of different pieces of ingredients, mixed it all together, and then scooped that out into individual baggies. And so he would wake up in the morning, he'd toss one of those in his bag and know that it's set. He's not having to sit there and play with it all day and figure out, you know, how many portions of nuts, how many portions of this, how many portions of that. It's already set to go. Dry cereal, bags of Fritos, power bars, Oreos, all sorts of different stuff in here.
0: Awesome, man. Well, uh, what about dinner-wise? Did we touch on that?
1: We didn't. Um, So, dinner—it kind of depends on what way a person is leaning. If they like the convenience, I am not a—you know—you got. There's a lot of guys that um, snub a certain brand of package, <laughs> package, rehydratable food that rhymes with fountain mouse. Yeah. Uh, I am not, I, I do not snub those. I mean, if you don't like them, that's one thing, but so if you want the convenience of those, those generally offer, you know, 600 calories, almost 60 grams of carbs, et cetera. And it of course depends on a guy's individual plan. Um, I find that they offer plenty of protein, moderate amounts of fats, but I'm usually, they're usually a little bit low on carbohydrate again, with the idea of trying to make sure those stores are filled for the following day, because what you eat that night goes into fueling the next day, as well as recovering from the day you just finished. So what we'll usually do in addition to adding some type of a packaged meal, or if a guy wants to DIY dehydrate his own um we'll throw in something like a, a hot apple cider or hot Gatorade or a hot chocolate something high in carbs low in calories or high in carbs moderate in calories easy to digest to get the carbs up to make sure that those stores are filled for the next day so most guys really love those packaged foods i've um i've started dehydrating my own which is way easier than it seems like i you know i never had any experience doing that i picked up a dirt cheap dehydrator it's a little nesco model from bed bath and beyond i think my wife had one of those coupons that they send out every two days (laughs) so i used that and i think i walked out of there with that thing for and maybe like 30 bucks and i've dehydrated my own uh elk chili with uh with pasta in it and dehydrated beans and rice and dirty rice and a host of different things and if guys are eric or girls are interested in delving into that let me just encourage you. It is way easier than it sounds and it's a, just pick one up. You've you got leftover stew from the evening dinner, throw it on there. Then you got a meal for the, for the back Whenever it comes time to go hunting in uh, September or this fall.
0: Yeah, and we did a dehydrated meals podcast with Kristen Rederath already. That was back, kind of one of our earlier ones. But I'll link to that in the show notes that's before. Awesome. As we kind of, yeah, as we kind of close up here, I found one more question that we didn't get answered: um, the benefits and also the be- the downsides of intermittent fasting.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, so, <clears throat> the benefits of it. I think are a couple and, and they're really more preferential benefit as opposed to science or physiological benefits, preferential wise, meaning it can make your schedule easier. Like if you've got a busy morning and you don't have time to eat, no harm, no foul. Like just, you can just skip it all. So it can be beneficial for the schedule. Um, if you are, if you are in, in a, in a mode of trying to lose weight and your calorie framework, even, even with anything you want made up into the calorie framework, but if your calorie framework is low, it's a way that you can offer yourself larger, more fulfilling meals. Um, so if you think about it, like if you if your calorie needs are 2000 for the day and you've got the option to either have five small 400 calorie meals or intermittently fast and have two huge, 1000 calorie meals. Some people like that offering, right? Like they can eat really big meals, but still hit within a calorie deficit. So it offers Mm -hmm. some way and offers some benefit by way of that too. Um, but there is, there really is no nothing beyond nothing beyond that. Right. So if you look at, and even when you read the research studies in this, if a person hits their calorie level, regardless of timing, regardless of intermittent fasting, they still lose the same amount of weight. Now there is some you can you can dive way deeper too when you're talking about pros and cons and say, "Oh, well, it's better for blood sugar control or it's better for, you know, a lot of these buzzwords like insulin resistance and blah blah blah." It 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 is, but it's because it suppresses the calories and the carbs. So if you're doing that hard work by maintaining a log and measuring your portions, they both, at the end of the day, come out even, right? So it, it really is a preferential type of a thing. And a guy asking or a girl asking themselves, how, how, what, what is going to be the best for me? What do I like? What's going to be the best for my lifestyle? Because whatever the answers to those things are, they're going to be able to be adherent to long-term. And when you're able to be adherent to it long-term, you get consistency, and then that helps you reach the finish line. So the takeaway in all of this, regardless of all the number conversation, the buzzwords like keto and the buzzwords like intermittent fasting and all of that, a person has to ask themselves constantly, what's going to work the best for me and how can I create a plan around that?
0: Definitely, man. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other kind of closing thoughts you want to leave people with? Um, Mine, I guess, or it's really not, it's really pretty simple. Um, you just need to make it simple and not dive into the, the details quite as far, especially when you're just starting out.
1: I think, I mean, I think that summarizes it great. I, 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 get, I get either people on Instagram or emails, which I just love talking with people about nutrition. I mean, it's my job, but I'm, it's a genuine passion of mine. I get people that message and they're just so confused about the nuances of nutrition. And my advice is always the same. If if you would just spend 90% of your time mastering the basics, you would be far better off than having any of the little nuances memorized because those nuances really don't matter. If you know the nuances, but you can't master the basics, you will never be able to accomplish your full potential in terms of nutrition and performance nutrition. So yes, Absolutely. Master the basics, spend your energy figuring out, you know, what those basics are and understanding them well and then following them and you will be far better off in the end and in the long run.
0: Awesome. Awesome, Kyle. Man, well, I appreciate you coming on Uh, once again. It'd be awesome to uh, have you on again in the future and maybe dive into something a little bit more, maybe like backcountry specific.
1: It would be my pleasure, Jordan. I appreciate you
0: having me.